this episode of Justice in Motion, we continue our Emerging Filmmakers Initiative by speaking to Maggie Bazina. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Justice in Motion, the social justice film report. I'm your host, Daniel Swan. A wise man once said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or, you know, of course, maybe it was a wise woman who said that first, and then a man was standing near her when she said that, and he heard her say it, and he thought, God, that's that's clever. And then he said it, but he said it slightly louder than the woman, and then everyone just assumed that he'd come up with it. Anyway, if you're one of the wonderful people who listened to last month's episode of Justice in Motion, the first of the Social Justice Film Institute's Emerging Filmmakers Initiative, I'm sure you will agree with me that it was an episode that definitely fell into the category of Ain't Broke. And so this month, we just thought we'd keep it going. I was lucky to speak to the very impressive Maggie Bedzina recently. She is an actress, a writer, a director, and the founder of a non-profit that gives disadvantaged children access to the performing arts. It's a very august resume, especially considering that she's only 19 years old. So without further ado, let's hear that interview now. Maggie Bedzina, social justice filmmaker, and plenty more besides. Maggie Bedzina. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to speak with us, taking the time to um, be part of our emerging filmmakers project that we're that we're trying to do at the moment. Speaking to a lot of uh, very exciting uh, young social justice filmmakers. Uh, how's your day going today? How are you? Uh, how are you feeling? My day is going very well. Thank you so much for having me. I was so excited when you reached out to be a part of something like this right now. Um, we always like to, on Justice and Motion, we like to start off with the hardest question, I think, because then everything else seems a lot easier. Um, and it's just a very interesting question f- for me to ask because I feel like there's a myriad different kind of definitions and people's definitions tend to be quite personal to them. But So I'm just going to ask it to you straight off. What does social justice mean to you? When I read that question, that was definitely very <laughs> daunting to me um, because you're right. It's such a broad question um, and it can go in so many different directions. Um, but for me as a filmmaker, I think social justice means representation. Um, there are so many stories uh, out there that don't get told, that don't make the headlines, that don't make the media, that don't have films written about them. And I think those are the stories that have always fascinated me and that I've always felt are most important, um, giving voice to those stories and also giving voice to diverse filmmakers and lifting them up so that we're getting a myriad of representation in cinema. It's not just a story coming from one perspective, but it's a story coming from people of all walks of life. Yeah, I th- uh, and it is very interesting that, you, that you've come at it uh, very much from a, a filmmaker's perspective and how that relates to you as a as a filmmaker, because that's not as for a lot of people, you know, you're not growing up as a as a four year old or five year old being really, you know, passionate about social justice because you're, you know, your your kind of world is pretty small. Um, right. Your pa- first passion, I'd imagine, I would guess, like performing in some way. Is that would that be accurate? 
Yeah, um, I think growing up, my two passions were definitely um, performing and then community outreach. Okay. Uh, from a really young age, my grandmother got me involved. Uh, she volunteered at a soup kitchen growing up, so we would go there a few times a week. Um, and then I got really into philanthropy, and I started a nonprofit uh, when I was 11 um, called The Performing Project um, with the mission to bring arts opportunities to children in the city of Lawrence, Massachusetts, which mm -hmm. is an urban city that um, has some poorer parts of it where kids don't have access to arts programming. Um, so those have always been my two loves, are arts and filmmaking and music and theater um, and also outreach because I was born in an incredible position of privilege. Um, you know, I was born in a white upper middle class family with two parents who supported me and, and helped me. Um, and so I always felt like it was my responsibility to use that privilege to help other people and lift up other people's voices. There's not a lot of 11-year-olds that are starting non-profits. That does make <laughs> that's, that's an unusual thing. For a, the performing project is, is, is an incredible thing. So what, what specifically does, does that aim to do, the performing project? So essentially, uh, the performing project started as a two-week summer program. And in the two weeks, we put up an entire musical with 60 to 80 students wow. um, from age 9 to age 18. So it's a really broad spectrum of ages, <laughs> which is super fun. Um, and uh, some of them have never performed before, have never done a musical at all before. Um, some of them now at this point have been with us seven or eight years. So oh, it's wow. incredible to, to see that growth over time. Um, and then as the program grew, we also started an educational fund that's allowed um, so far three of our students to apply for and attend musical theater colleges. Wow, that's incredible. That's that's absolutely fantastic. And how long how long has it been running at this point? Um, we're going into year nine. Year nine. So yeah, wow, this summer awesome. this summer is obviously going to be difficult with COVID because it's hard to put on a live production um, when everyone's six feet apart. Exa <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Trying to keep eighty young students six <laughs> feet apart is is sort of an impossible an impossible dream. Um, so it, it's going to look quite different this summer. Um, but but we're definitely planning to continue. continue continue with it fantastic fantastic and then and then then moving into the world of social justice filmmaking you were 17 when you made censored um yes i was 17, 17 at the time and so and there's a lot of you know 17 year olds who will be making their first films i know i made some films when i was 17 and they did not have a social justice bent to them i'll let you know that um what, what was it that was that important to you to kind of to push forward that kind of social justice message or or is that just are those just the ideas that come to you at the time that was just an idea that came to me I it was less of a conscious choice I mm -hmm. I was a film actor at the time I'd started acting on screen um about a year before that um and then I, I don't know if you remember this but in the media it had come out that uh Trump was trying to censor the words that the CDC was using and I just yes. remember being like flabbergasted by that and I couldn't it, it just sort of made me spiral and think about okay if we start limiting um, these personal freedoms and we start censoring these things what society does that leave us with um, and so I, I, I just wanted to make something about it and so I pulled together a, a very small crew and um, made it in, in the next few weeks 
and I, I loved making it. And, and sort of from that point forward, I, I just realized that what was meaningful to me about filmmaking was using a film to say something. Um, and so that sort of gave me a direction for all my films that would follow that. Making a film when you're 17, were there, were there difficulties in that? I mean, you say kind of, you know, pulling a crew together and there's, there's adults in the film and there's, you know, it's, it's, doesn't look like the film that a 17 year old makes what kind of issues did you come into if any from being 17 when you say yeah okay so here's what I'm gonna need (laughs) you these days and these days and a lot of people go totally I mean I feel like I've always been so lucky in that you know I, I had the same experience when I started my nonprofit that people never um never told me that I couldn't do something because of how old I was um, and so I, I feel incredibly lucky for that. I mean, there are certainly, we're certainly some people who would look at me like, are you sure you're going to do this thing? <laughs> um, but, but I was lucky that I also came from a community of massive support. And so for me, it was definitely a, a, a big learning curve because I'd never made something before. And I was only 17 and I hadn't attended film school. Um, but people also had an incredible amount of patience with me. My cinematographer on that project, Tim Gerzak, uh, sat down with me and, and sort of went over everything. And we, we talked about, um, you know, framing and shots. And I sort of inevitably went down a, a YouTube hole where I watched all kinds of videos on prime lenses and anamorphic lenses and, <laughs> and different ways to tell stories. Um, and, and certainly that's evolved over the past few years where I've, I've gotten more of an, an education. Um, but, but I was lucky that people, you know, when I, I showed them the script and I told them my vision, they, despite my age, didn't look at me as a 17-year-old kid. They looked at me as a filmmaker and respected my vision and were willing to help me carry it out. That's fantastic. And probably I'd imagine testament to, you know, the passion that you bring into to the project. I think that carries a lot of weight, regardless of how old you are. Working at the Social Justice Film Festival, obviously, we watch a lot of social justice films that get submitted. Mm. And I always have a little, I don't know, a little soft spot in my heart for, for narrative social justice films. Mm. Um, my favourite thing is is watching a film that I'm entertained by. And then at the end, realizing that I've been educated by it as well. That's yes, that's my that's absolutely. my that's my personal favorite, and that's that's the kind of the vibe I got from from censored. But from a obviously looking back on that now, what what were some of the big lessons that you learned about, I suppose, filmmaking in general um, from making that first? Well, I think what you touched upon is is so true that. I think the best films don't force uh, force a topic down your throat. They present it in in a way that is uh, nuanced, and then they allow you to make your own assessments. Um, so that was definitely a huge a huge thing that I learned with censored, um, which was you know t- telling telling stories about certain issues is so important, but I think the most impactful way to do it is to do it in a way where people don't even sort of realize what you're teaching them while you're teaching them it. Yeah. Um, and, and then, like I said, you sort of allow them to, to draw their own conclusions. So I think that was a huge learning curve that I had with censored. Um, and then obviously with, we are the mass shooting generation. And then when I, I started getting to truly narrative, uh, filmmaking, um, with, my next film one day till tomorrow and then my following film responsible party um that were very much narrative films um but that were just laced with these social justice issues that were tied in um to these characters experiences yeah i think there's a 
Stanley Kubrick quote that I'm sure I'm going to butcher, that where <laughs> he, he talks about people are going to remember something. You can tell them something, but if you kind of build the path for them to get to it themselves, then that's going to stay in their heads a lot longer. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, also, I don't think we give audiences enough credit a lot of the time. A lot of these audiences are really smart people. Um, and, you know, you don't need to force it down their throats. They, they're they smart, they're intuitive, and, and you can just give them the seeds um, and allow them to draw their own conclusions. You mentioned um, We Are the Mass Shooting Generation. That's mm. how the Social Justice Film Festival came to be aware of your existence in the world. It's a, a fantastic film and um, won a prize with us. Obviously, that's a documentary. Was there a particular reason that you, you didn't want to go down the narrative route with that film? What, what, what was that decision-making process like? Yeah, um, so that film actually came about when I had uh, done Censored and the National Coalition Against Censorship had become aware of the film uh, and put it out through their website. And then they had reached out to me because they have a film competition every year uh, where they invite young filmmakers to create films and apply to it. Uh, and the concept that year, the, the question they were asking is, what does protest mean to you? Um, and simultaneously at that time, um, when they had sent me, they were having this film competition, um, the March for Our Lives movement was, was sort of the beginnings of that were starting to develop. Um, and I think that was a really interesting time to be a young person in this country. Um, for me, I, I'm sure that, that probably at some point I will touch upon the issue of gun violence in schools through a narrative film, um, because it is a, a topic that I'm so passionate about. Um, but I felt at that time what I really wanted to do is focus on the actual voices of these kids. Um, and, and giving them a platform to say something and to express to the world what this means to them, what it's like to go to school every day and have these legitimate fears. Um, because I think a lot of these teenagers at that time felt voiceless because we couldn't vote, we couldn't enact legislation. Um, and, and so I, I wanted to give a little bit of a platform to some young people um, and just give them some time to express what this means to them and how it's affecting them and hope that maybe some people would watch this film and listen. Um, when it comes to, because all of your films have, have that kind of social justice angle or social justice element, mm. for you, which comes first? Is it the idea of this is a story that I want to tell and then this is how that could have that kind of social justice angle? Or is it this is something that I'm really passionate about? What story can I tell that would highlight this issue? Hmm. Oh, that's a very interesting question. Um, for me, I think the two tend to join together pretty seamlessly. Okay. I don't usually start writing a script knowing exactly what it's about. Okay. Um, but then usually uh, a little ways into it, I start to sort of find what the story is. Um, because I think for me, like you said, all of my films are centered around uh, a social justice issue. Um, so I can't write an entire script not knowing what that issue is, of <laughs> course. Um, but I think it's also fundamental that I find the setting and the character. Um, and then usually by the time I've written, you know, 15, 20 pages, I'm, I've become aware of what the story is that I'm trying to tell. Um, and then it sort of diverges from there. With this being such a potent time, with this being a time of crazy stuff happening, unprecedented stuff, there's so many stories, so many really important stories that need to be told. So I imagine, I'd hope that there are a lot of young people 
who are looking at the news, watching the news, looking at their communities and saying, wow, this is a story that means a lot to me. This is a story that I would like to tell, be it through documentary, be it through a narrative film. They want to they make something out of it. What kind of pieces of advice, as a, as a seasoned filmmaker now, what kind of pieces of advice would you give to, to young people who want to pick up a camera and want to tell some stories? I would just tell them to do it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think it, it's, that's easy to say, but it is really that simple. I mean, when I made We Are the Mass Shooting Generation, I did it with a, a little flip HD camera and some friends um, just attending marches and, and meeting people. And I really do think it, it is that simple. Um, certainly it's more complicated in, when you get into narrative filmmaking, but if you have a story that you want to tell, you should tell it. I mean, now more than ever, I think we need voices um, from all different communities and we need to be uplifting those voices, specifically those young voices and those, those young black voices. And I think there is such a need for that right now. There's such a desire for that right now. So... I would just tell any young filmmaker who wants to tell a story that there's no there's no right age to do it, there's no right time to do it. If you want to do it, go out and do it. And, I mean, if that young filmmaker were, through the magic of time travel, a young uh, Maggie Bazzina, and, and she was embarking on her filmmaking life, would you have any words for her? Maybe mistakes that you look back on, you think, ah, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Or maybe things that you thought, oh, if I just changed that and done that slightly differently, that could have had a different outcome. Absolutely. I mean, whenever I look back, I'm actually very fond of the mistakes that I made because <laughs> I always joke that every film that I do, I learn like at least three like huge lessons that yeah. allow the next film to be fundamentally much better. Um, because like I said, because I didn't attend film school and because I am still 19, um, I, I'm learning a lot as I go. I'm learning from the process, which I actually, I, I love that because it, it might mean that there are imperfections in the things that I make, but it's, it's such a, a cohesive way to learn. Um, so I would just tell myself to continue to make things and to not be so worried about perfection. Uh, because I think as a filmmaker, you know, you always want to tell a story perfectly. You want to do justice to this thing and, and this vision you have. Um, but there's so much beauty and imperfection and, and so much of the beauty is also in the process of, of growing as a filmmaker um, and sort of learning more and more as you go. Um, so I would just tell myself to continue to make things and to not, not judge mistakes so harshly because I think there is so much beauty in those mistakes. That's a, that's a lovely answer. I like that a lot. I came at you with a, with a negative question and you spun <laughs> it into something positive. That's a wonderful gift. That's a wonderful gift. Um, <laughs> Well, as we uh, kind of wrap up a little bit, obviously you mentioned some uh, some other films that that you've done beyond uh, Mass Shooting Generation. Are you? I mean, obviously COVID is kind of messing up a lot of plans at the moment. But are you working <laughs> yes. on uh, any films? Um, are you in pre-production for anything? Yes. So actually, I uh, was in pre-production for a number of months for a short film that would serve as a proof of concept for my first narrative feature. 
Um, and we were actually planning to shoot that at the end of March in Joshua Tree. Um, yes. Uh, so that's <laughs> been put on hold. Um, but that's an exciting project. Um, we have an all-female crew of about 25 women uh, who are attached to the film, which is really exciting. Um, so it's definitely my most uh, wide-scale narrative piece to date, which is which is very exciting, and, and it is in the vein of touching on a social justice issue, um, of course, as that's what I love to do. Um, and then also my fourth film, um, my second narrative film, Responsible Party, uh, is starting to do the festival circuit now, um, which is an interesting year to be doing the festival circuit yeah. because we, you know, um, to date, the the first festival that we're going to be screening at will be a virtual festival, which is very oh, interesting. I see. Um, but, but that's, that's exciting nonetheless to sort of be able to share that story with the world. Nice. Nice. Yeah. There's so many odd, I don't know, evolutions and adaptations that people are having to make because of COVID. And I think it's a lovely, I think it's a lovely thing to see, you know, any, any business, any organization, any event having to come at things using a lot of creativity, I think. Of Absolutely. like, well, this is what we can't do, but what can we do? What's what's a version of this that we can do? I think it's really interesting to see a lot, a lot of these yeah film festivals moving to an online model and and seeing them get a, a really surprising amount of success. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge time for innovation, like you said. I think that's true of film festivals. It's true of businesses. It's true of how we live our lives. Um, you know, these times are so unprecedented, but it's definitely a reminder that humans are massively adaptable um, because people are still finding ways to create art and to share really meaningful experiences with one another. Superb, superb. Um, well, as a, as a final question, as a final uh, kind of uh, prompt for you, we at the Social Justice Film Festival, we love screening uh, social justice films, both as a, uh, because it's interesting to t- tell people and, and show people about an issue that maybe they didn't necessarily know everything about, but also as a nice uh, a call to action. People that are listening to this podcast, I imagine the millions of people that are listening to this, <laughs> uh, to this podcast, um, if they had a call to action at the end of this after listening to, to you and, and about your, your I, guess, I suppose, journey through social justice filmmaking, what would you want that, that call to action to be for them? I would just tell people that, you know, I make films because I think for me that's sort of my contribution to the world um, and my way of of bringing bringing to light stories that I feel feel are so important to represent. Um, and I think we all need to do that in some capacity in our own lives. Um, not that we all need to be social justice filmmakers, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that we all do need to mobilize. We all do need to uh, figure out what's important to us and and what issues we stand for and act accordingly. Um, and I think now is a more relevant time than ever uh, because there is so much change being enacted in our country right now. Um, and there are so many call to actions that are happening uh, and I think now more than ever is a time to take action uh, and uplift voices and figure out fundamentally what you stand for as a person and make sure that that is translating in our actions every day. Nice, nice. Yeah, I, I think I've, I've seen a lot of things 
you know, especially over the last week, such a tumultuous week. Um, people talking about um, somebody used a phrase the other day that I really liked that um, activism has a lot of different lanes to it. That, that it's you know the road is all going in the same direction but some people it's it's getting out and protesting some people it's donating money some people it's signing petitions some people it's it's you know kind of just spreading the word amongst their their kind of group and challenging um people that are very close to them so I, yeah i really like that message of find out the issues that you're passionate about but then also find out for you personally how how are you going to make that difference and it's different for a lot of different people Absolutely. I mean, I think it can be overwhelming when we think about issues um, and we think about all there is to do because there's so much to be done. Um, But I completely agree with that sentiment that, you know, we all have our strengths as people. We all know, you know, sort of fundamentally what we bring to the table. Um, And so I think as important as it is to identify the issues we stand for, uh, it's equally important to identify how best we can contribute to the conversation. That's wonderful. Well, Maggie, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. You're a very, very interesting person and have lived lived a lot in those these uh, these brief 19 <laughs> years already. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. I, I wish you all the, all the success in the world moving forward. But yeah, thank you very much for, for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you very much for listening um, to our podcast. It was great getting to speak to Maggie, to get to to pick her brains a little bit about filmmaking and changing the world. Um, as you can hear, she's she's clearly a very thoughtful, very ambitious uh, and compassionate artist. Uh, and I'm sure you are now just as excited as I am uh, to see what she comes up with in the future. Anyway, we'll be speaking to more emerging filmmakers in the future so that I can leech off their youth like some kind of vitality vampire. So uh, keep your eyes peeled to our Instagram at Justice Film Festival and our Facebook at Social Justice Film Festival uh, for all the information. You'll also be able to find info on our upcoming live event. We hope you'll join us the week of July 27th uh, for a discussion of films that highlight the Black Lives Matter movement and art as activism. It's going to be a a very important discussion, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Uh, It's one that I'm looking forward to listening to and learning from. But until next time, watch films, be fair to each other, and I'll speak to you soon. This episode was written by Daniel Swan and Marisa Reyes-Pacheco and was a production of the Social Justice Film Institute. Thank you.